This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear songs like the Love Cats on the stereo. And the good news is, if you're sick of not being able to play all those classic games with a real arcade experience, then I've got the cure. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I am Groot. What? What are you talking about? Anyway, this is the No Quarter Podcast where we talk about games that Carrington is better than at me and I get yes, angry. Yes, and- I like our new theme. Awesome. What do, you, do you not know Groot? Did you not see Guardians of the Galaxy? I did not yet. It's on the list of things I want to see, but I'm 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 so turned off by the the American movie theater going experience that I just yeah it's, uh, I'll probably wait for it to be at the dollar theater, which will suck because then the screen won't be great. And Isn't that a worse movie going experience? Well, kind of, but there I expect it to be a worse experience. I'm kind of snobby when it comes to movie things. I wish there was like. In here in Toronto, we have it's cheaper on Tuesdays to go to movies. Generally, mm-hmm. it's yeah. a little, I wish Wednesday was expensive Wednesday, where it's five dollars <laughs> more, and nobody more than five years younger than me is allowed to be in the cinema. <laughs> and it should be just a moving thing. However old I am, can't be younger than five years more than that. Well, there is the um, the, the Alamo Draft House here in the United States, and they've kind of been pioneering the the. I guess you'd call it the boutique movie going experience where you pay more for the ticket, but you know, they're, they're really big about like, they will throw you out if you pull out your cell phone, you know, but you can buy a glass of beer and have a nice meal and big comfy leather seats. And, and so maybe I'll go see it there. Cause I, I think we have one here in Denver now. So and that's, I would frequent a place like that if we had them in Toronto, but we're not here to talk about movies or oh. about guardians of the galaxy. We're not. I'm afraid not. We're here to talk about arcade games. Italian arcade games this week. Yeah, but first we have feedback. We do. I don't know, do we? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I, yeah, all the nice do. email goes to you. I just get, I'm sure you set up a filter uh, uh, on the on the the um, on the mail server that says you know it just scans emails. Anything that says douche moron or idiot, those get sent right to me and everything. Well, I'm else. trying to route them correctly. Oh well, <laughs> you've done an excellent job, sir. <laughs> So let's see. What did we get? We got a bunch. Christopher wrote in to say, Mike said he didn't bother pushing through to the end of Wrestle War to see what happens. Well, I took one for the team, or really, I pumped in 20 virtual quarters for the team to see the end. It's pretty funny. All the heels, and that's wrestling speak for bad guys, are in a line, and you suddenly kick one of them in the head, and they all fall like dominoes. (laughs) I'm not saying it was worth all the effort getting there, but at least it's better than nothing. Love the show. Christopher. Thank you, Christopher. Now That's we know cute. the end and we don't have to do it ourselves. That's right. I didn't actually hate that game. No, it, it, I, I had a better time playing Matt Manium, but it was an okay game for what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, in general, I just found I, it just wasn't uh, enough depth there. It, it got dull within the first week. So. Right. Alas. Uh, what else did we get next? Okay, Brandon wrote in to, to ask us a question. Have you seen this amazing lecture by Steve Golson? He was one of the original developers of Ms. Pac-Man at the General Computer Company. 
In the lecture, he talks about the development of Crazy Auto and takes it right through to Ms. Pac-Man. He also talks about how they made games at GCC. Love the podcast. I look forward to it every week. And he sent us a link to a YouTube video called Steve Golson from Crazy Auto to Ms. Pac-Man. I watched it. It's fantastic. Holy cow. I wish I had seen this before we talked about the show, talked about the, the game. I would have had much more to say. So um, I highly, highly recommend it. So it'll be in the show notes. It's fantastic. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed it. It's great having um, having these game designers and, and people who used to work for the companies back in the day be willing and and uh, able to to come and and talk about that stuff and and sort of give you new insights and like the aha and wow moments that you never knew about your favorite games. Aha and wow. Yes. That's what Both I have those every moments. time I talk to Carrington, because Carrington is awesome all the time. <laughs> Aha! Wow, you're awesome. <laughs> That's what Mike <laughs> says. Um, what next? Rick. Rick on the East Coast. He wrote it in. He wrote, wrote it in. He wrote us <laughs> He in. phoned it in, just like uh, we do every week. <laughs> he sent us a, a great, really long letter that talked about um, the, the week of podcast misogyny and marketing from the past, because we had done Ms. Pac-Man and talked about the, uh, the misogyny in that. Um, I think at the same time that Player Missile had, uh, Rob over there had come across a, a sexist column writing from the 80s. Um, so just anyway, interesting stuff. And at the, so it's a long letter, so I'll just read the, like, the bottom bits of it. But he concludes with saying, Electronic Games Magazine, like any magazine, is about numbers and distribution. The readership consisted mostly of males under the age of 21, if their letter columns were any indication, and they wanted more female readers to boost circulation. So their cover story was about females and video games. Marketing and the editors may have said, that's a great idea, we'll feature it on the cover. But how many magazines would have caught the eyes of potentially new buyers of a woman playing asteroids in a business suit? We can't put her in a bikini, that's too obvious. <laughs> we'll put her in tight jeans bending over the controls and making her look as sexy as possible. The article will get the attention of women and the photo will get the attention of males. And let's have her playing Centipede. We can say it's because a woman was a programmer of the game, but we all know it's really because it's a phallic suggestion of a snake-like graphics in the game. He says, I don't know. I wasn't there at the planning of any of these things, but my experience as a commercial artist sitting in planning meetings and rolling my eyes tells me mm. it could have gone like that. And if it didn't, it still points out that this was second nature to marketing this way behind closed doors, while on the surface appearing to be more evolved than that. It still happens today, sadly, but at least we're more aware and sincerely offended by these outmoded values, outmoded values. The silver lining in all this is your discussion and distaste of all things in this podcast about arcade games. This kind of stuff keeps me coming back for more. I said it before and I'll say it again. You two rock. We do rock, Rick. That was the most important thing you said in your letter. But us rocking. Mike, do you rock? I do not rock. I roll a little <laughs> bit, but I don't rock. You weeble. <laughs> and you uh, wobble. Yeah. But you do not fall down. Yeah, we, we, got, we got a lot of email. Um, both on both sides of the issue actually um, for, for our gender discussion, but um, and it was, it was good stuff and great discussion. Um, but that's a couple of weeks back and uh, let's move on. Shall we? Nope. Oh, oh, good. I like the discussions. Okay. Classy Freddy Blassie. the bear. Stop it. Walked in and said, uh, walked in. What? Hello. <laughs> my, my caffeine is not kicked in yet. Uh, wrote in and said, I wonder if you could do a MAME config episode one day. I tried your lost tomb. Looks cool, but none of the joysticks or buttons are mapped when I run it. Uh, there is so much confusion and frustration in MAME, Mac MAME, mess and Mac mess that it would be a good technical episode, but if done well, it might help a lot of people. The classy guy. 
I got to agree with him, at least on the Mac side of the house. There's uh, not a lot of MAME support. It's hard to set up. It's hard to get going. And the, the front ends, um, the front ends that are available are tend to be confusing. Uh, you know, I, I forget there was one that, that I tried where you could go in and muck about with the settings and I would quit and I would come back and I'd forgotten all the changes that I had made. And apparently that was just a bug in the front end. Uh, so unless you're doing just the command line stuff, it's a, it can be a frustrating and mess is even mess is even worse. I, I don't even mess with mess because it's such a difficult setup. And I'm sure that, uh, the, the technically minded listeners out there are going, Oh, poor you. Um, and Quinn but, is rolling her eyes at you right exactly, now. Yes. But I will say that, uh, okay. So, and this, this relates later on, and this, this will be the excuse that I use for the score today um, as well. But my X-Arcade has stopped working on my Windows machine, which is where I primarily do my um, any non-standard button setups and joystick setups when we talk about those games. Normally, I'll just do them on the iCade. But this one, the game we're talking about today is buttons only. Um, and so I plugged in the X-Arcade and Windows blue screen. It just shut down and I rebooted and plugged it in again. Same problem. And I am inclined to blame windows more than the, the X arcade machine simply because the no changes have been made to the X arcade hardware. It's not like I've been stomping on it or something. And you know how windows has never handled USB drivers all that well and blah, 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 blah. So I tried it on the Mac, plugged it in and you could play it a little bit through MAME. And then if you got out of the game and went back into another game, it stopped functioning and I did a little searching around and there's actually a support uh, article on the XRcade webpage that says um, uh, currently there's a known bug with SDL MAME, which required, which is the, this, the SDL MAME is kind of the back end that you need to run pretty much any MAME setup on Mac. But it says uh, there's a bug which requires the XRcade to be connected only after SDL MAME starts. And this process must be repeated anytime you change a ROM, unplug the XRcade, close SDL MAME, reopen, then connect the XRcade. Uh, so I played this mean, game. What do you mean change ROM? Like you in, install new ROMs or just you're switching games? No, you, if you switch games, you have oh, to go man. through this. So I got about 10 minutes, uh, into the, into this week's game and then like just went insane with frustration, uh, over the Mac stuff. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Freddie, that a tech episode about, um, MAME setups would be great. I don't know if we're the people to do it or not, but, um, if you, <laughs> Clearly, you're not. <laughs> well, no. I, if you do one, Freddie, I will happily listen and cheer you on. Um, I don't really have a front end to mine. <laughs> yeah, so you just need command line stuff. <laughs> launch terminal, run command line, command line, and be your friends. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I keep fiddling every once in a while. I'll, I'll begin the process of installing a front end and then think, this is garbage. <laughs> and then I just quit. Every single one of them drives me crazy. It's, it's the problem with open source software. Send your hate mail to Mike. Um, in that, <laughs> I'll be it's, it, the the lack of polish and the and the desire. There's generally like this sort of engineer's desire behind it to add as many features and as as much configuration as possible. Whereas I don't want any configuration. Maybe at most a slider that goes from accuracy to speed or something. <laughs> and then, like that's it. Like I I I don't see any need. Don't even let me remap the buttons. <laughs> like, just whatever and say. These are the controls. Go with the main default. I don't understand the front end. They're just they're they're awful. Every time but, I try to set one up, they're just awful. But the thing is, uh, on the Windows side of the house, they have um, um, several 
front ends, and I think I don't know. No, but I, mine, I it's Windows that I use, Windows it? and DOS I use for my my main stuff because, mostly. I've got it on my Mac as well. Because main UI I found is is elegant and simple to set up. You just you run the setup and then dump the appropriate ROMs into the folders, and you're good to go. I mean, I that's all the configuration you have to do. There's none of this SDL name in the background and um, or any of the problems that, that I have when I try to do Mac maiming. Right. Yeah, so, I do. I, th- I think I probably actually do more playing on my Mac just because it's what I'm in front of all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, yeah, launch terminal, command line, got MAME, yeah. just MAME64 installed, and that's it. No front end. Um, my actual MAME machine runs on an old version of Windows, and that's what I've got the my X-Arcade plugged into. Or not mine. My still borrowed a year later X-Arcade. <laughs> Let's be realistic uh, start here. Feel guilty about that one. <laughs> start to feel guilty. Um, and I don't have a front end on that either. <laughs> like, I'm just running really bare bones. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a quandary. You know, you, you're not going to get, I think, big uh, a big company like Nintendo or somebody like that who can hire top quality programmers. Not saying that open source guys aren't top quality, but generally they're not getting paid for a lot of that stuff, and and so those projects get put on the back burner for day jobs and things like that. Nintendo's not going to come out and and write a write something like like you know a, a front end for MAME that, that works well and is easy to set up and they can throw the money and the resources that they need to add it to continue to improve it and make it better. So which is, is that your uh, excuse for doing so badly this this week? It is, it is. Oh and the uh, other thing see, is I, I anticipate mm, that this this oh, seems yes. like you're leading up mm, to an excuse. Oh I'm I'm building a I'm building a uh, I'm building a nice foundation here and as we go through the episode <laughs> okay. I'll continue to expand You the, sit on a throne of failure. Yes I do. <laughs> the uh the other problem <laughs> not problem with the game. My problem is you really don't want to play this week's game on a computer keyboard and we'll get to, to why. I played it on a computer keyboard. Oh, you suck. <laughs> I hate and you a joystick. So much. <laughs> but my high score actually got on keyboard because it's a button oriented game. So I generally feel like, ah, then I don't need joystick. I'm going to blame mine on windows sucks. How's that? <laughs> I accept that. It's not my fault. It's never my fault. I accept it. Okay. But interestingly, feedback. with feedback wise, we got one that kind of relates to just what we were talking about. Kurt wrote in to say, uh, guys, often I hear you both state that it took you a while to figure out all the buttons on a particular game. While searching for a video on Black Widow, obviously I'm still making my way through your back catalog, I ran mm. across this on YouTube. He sent us a link to um, a video called Atari Black Widow Arcade Gameplay. It's one of the Gamestore 81 videos. Um, that's one of those dual stick... Oh, you can't quite say the phrase. <laughs> so, uh, Sorry, Quinn. <laughs> Kurt says, uh, the guy's using an Ultimate Arcade 2, and at about one thirty into one minute and 30 seconds into the video, he starts up Black Widow. When he does, it shows him all the controls. Not sure if there's a front end like this in MAME, but what a great idea. Anyway, keep up the great work on the show. Very good suggestion, Kurt. Like That's another thing that I guess a front end could give you. Um, all the time, I will play a game, and it'll be quite a few rounds in that I'll realize there's another button. I'm like, oh, look, if I press C, it does something. <laughs> uh, what else did we get? Tim. Tim wrote in about Wrestle War. He says, nice review of Wrestle War. That's one I'd never heard of before, and unlike you, I was a big Sega Genesis player when I was a kid. I was intrigued about there being another wrestling game I hadn't heard of before, so I went looking for even more info. 
I found out that John's Arcade did a video review of it as well. He picked up a cab that had been converted into WrestleWar, but it was in really bad shape. He restored it and has the video showing the restored cab. Also, the cab, when he first got it, had the joysticks on the right, which is just wrong. Left is right, right is wrong. Keep mashing those buttons, Tim. Thank you, Tim. So I will make sure we have a link to that video in the show notes as well. I like the John's Arcade videos. I'm very jealous of his home arcade. Me too. I, I think we should we should take over his arcade and his podcast or his video cast. His podcast is too long for me to do. I, I couldn't I don't have the, the podcasting stamina. <laughs> we also got email from Jet. He wrote in to say, You mentioned Sega's use of the FD1094 encryption chip in your latest episode. I have a little more info about that to pass along. The FD1094 is also sometimes labeled the FD1089, and even to this day, nobody's really sure what the differences between them are. Hmm. In both cases, they're clones of the Motorola 68000, um, but made by Hitachi. I think they were specifically made for Sega arcade games. The reason the FD1094 is famous, or infamous, is that it's an example of a battery-powered copy protection chip. In the 1094, the opcodes and the opcode data are encrypted individually, even the normal opcodes versus the interrupt vector opcodes have different encryptions. Also, the chip disables the PC relative address modes, which would have made it easier to dump the unencrypted data somehow. Sega was really taking the copy protection seriously. Basically, the encryption is done using SRAM within the chip that's battery-backed. There's no guard against opening the chip itself, but if you remove the battery or let it die, it will kill the SRAM contents, which cuts off decryption and means the game can no longer boot. There are multiple encryptions for each game that uses the chip, and the specific encryption is set within the opcodes themselves. But of course, like all copy protection and all DRM, it was only a matter of time before it was broken. It's now possible for anyone who owns an FD1094 protected game to change the battery, and naturally, the 94 encryption emulation is possible, um, because you can play these games in MAME with ROMs as is. If your listeners are interested in the topic, I would suggest directing them to Charles McDonald's FD1094 site, or to the Dead Battery Society. Thanks mm-hmm. for the great podcast. I look forward to it every week. So we will have links to all those. So there's a great, um, he sent us four fantastic links. One was over to retroclinic.com, and they have a, a whole walkthrough on how to remove the suicide battery in the Sega board set. So if you need to make a change, how to do that and keep everything as is. Uh, a link to Charles McDonald's FD1094 site, a link to the Dead Battery Society, which is a very cool page, and also um, the the encryption emulation in case you want to run that, which is over at MameDev. So lots of stuff to, uh, to link to. Neat. Like it. I think that's all we got. Well, then let's talk about this game. Well, fantastic. Or not. No. <laughs> this week's game is Quasar. And, uh, I'm sort of, sort of unsure of the development history actually because i'm seeing in some places that it was developed by a company called zakaria arcade games an italian company and in other places i'm seeing it's called zelco or, or maybe they just shortened zakaria to zelco games um the um the game over screen says zakaria at the top and then ni- copyright 1980 zelco games italy um so i'm not sure what's going on there in the united states it was uh distributed by u.s billiards i think yeah, it was one of only, I think, two games by, Z- like, two Zakaria games that were released in the U.S. And the other one, for trivia folks, is Lazaria, which was um, basically re-injured, or re-injured, re-engineered. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, and uh, manufactured by Midway, and it was released as Laser Battle. So the Midway game Laser Battle mm. is actually Zakaria's Lazaria. 
The game itself was released in 1980. Um, and I don't know. There's not a, I didn't get to play a whole lot of the game. So I'm just going to talk about the company here for a minute. And I'll let you talk about the game. Uh, so if we're talking about Zakaria, uh, Zakaria is apparently a, it was an Italian arcade and pinball manufacturer, uh, founded by three brothers, Marino, Franco, and Natali Zakaria. And, uh, if you look closely, oh, that makes sense. Cause it's the three Z's. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Z for you. Yeah, so um, if, in their logo. Yeah. If ah, you look okay. at the, the logo, it has three Z's and that's for the, the three brothers. Um, the company went bankrupt and the three brothers then went on to found, uh, a company called Technoplay. Which was a which is a at the time was a distributor of uh, Sega arcade games, um, and they basically kind of did that weird business shuffle thing where they bank they shut down the previously bankrupt old company, opened a new company, and then sold the old company rights to the new company. Um, and interestingly, I, I guess uh, Tech Technoplay is still around today in um, Italy, and they sell um, used and refurbished and new arcade uh, cabinet parts. Okay, cool. No doubt, probably parts for the old Zakaria game. <laughs> I know I, that, that they were most Zakaria. I think of as a pinball company. I think they were mostly. Yeah, so there's a there's a games. there's a web page. Uh, I think it's just a fan website, and I don't know that it's been updated in a while. Some dead links, but it's the um, uh, Zakaria dot com. So there's three Z's ZZ Zakaria dot com, and they list uh, the video arcade games and and. Um, there's not a lot here that that you probably heard of if you if you uh, unless I guess maybe you were into this company or you lived in Italy you probably haven't heard of most of these games like Carrington pointed out there only one other one was sold in the United States but they do have a lot more pinball games um, there were there were quite a few machines that were 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 listed there and Zakaria's company Wikipedia page says that there are at least forty six known uh, different pinball machines that are still or, there, there are at least 46 Zakari pinball machines known to exist. Um, and some of them are ones that I've never heard of before, but um, I've played, let's see, Magic Castle, Robot, um, Mystic Star. And it looks like they produced, the last produced, um, the last produced pinball machine was released in 1987, New Stars Phoenix. I think that's because that's when, I think they, Zakari only really existed as from 74 to 87. That's right. their year of bankruptcy. Uh, so that's probably why that's the last year they made a pinball. Yes, and then they became, uh, um, and then they became techno after that. They went techno. They, they started going to a lot of raves, <laughs> doing a lot of drugs. Um, they were, according to the internet and the internet never lies. They were actually the third largest oh. pinball company in the world when they were sort of at their peak. Mm. Um, I guess that would be behind who? Valley and, Valley and Williams, probably. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Or maybe Stern. Anyway, they were number three. Uh, it's, um, it says, oh, okay, so the Zakari was briefly reorganized under the label Mr. Game. Uh, they Mr. Game produced pinball machines from 1988 until 1990. So, and there were one, two, three, four, five, six machines that were released by Mr. Game. So that's that's what happened to their pinball properties after Zakari went bankrupt. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, that's all you got to tell? Um, that's really kind of <laughs> it. I mean, there's, there's just not a lot. I mean, there's kind of some interesting company stuff that we've already talked about, but there's not a whole lot to say about Zakaria, and I didn't really get to play the game, so I'm just going to let you talk, Harrington, and I I know that's difficult for you. but <laughs> The thing I have to say about Zakaria <laughs> is they made beautiful cabinets. So beautiful. Love their cabinets. 
So we will talk about the cabinet later. But holy cow, did they make some gorgeous, gorgeous cabinets. Yeah, that, the Zakaria.com, the Extra Z's website that I, I mentioned earlier, actually has uh, their arcade game list. And they've got photos of a lot of different uh, flyers and cabinets and, and things like that. Definitely worth uh, scrolling through that and checking out. I want them all. Just beautiful. I have them all. Um, so the, <laughs> well that you. Okay. I wish. Well, what I would do is, is like we were talking earlier before we were recording, you were saying I, you just want their cabinets and to put better games in. And I think that would be an awesome idea. But then people would write in and say, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> so you think that's a good idea and that's why everyone hates you. <laughs> we're not K-Lob, so. <laughs> or Clob or whatever, so. So this game, Quasar, with this week's game, uh, like you said, from 1980, it is a four phase game so there's four different stages you go through and each one is quite different so it's kind of like gorf in that way the stages are not like gorf but that kind of idea like i think of that as as the 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 gorfian style game where you're playing through multiple stages and each stage is quite different than the other and they're sort of tied together by a theme and here the theme is hey it's spacey kind of stuff <laughs> so it's pretty loosey <laughs> so the first phase is kind of like galaxian but without the aliens formation so they don't line up in a formation and then dive bomb you it's just the dive bombing part so the second stage is kind of like asteroids without the asteroids <laughs> so you know in asteroids a uh, ufos will will come on and shoot you imagine if you got rid of all the asteroids and all that was left were the ufos you just sort of float in space and <laughs> occasionally yeah. shoot stuff and... third level is buck rogers and if you think the buck rogers game is mostly known for that 3D aspect. So this is like Buck Rogers without all the 3D stuff. It's just got the crappy bits left. It's just the worst phase. You're going up this tunnel to, to shoot the bad guy. Uh, so we'll talk about that one and how much I hated level and three. Um, I thought Buck Rogers one, was nothing but crappy bits, but no, they've, well, they've managed okay. to distill it down into the worst of the worst. <laughs> yes. And then the, the fourth stage is kind of like Star Castle, but again, without the castle. <laughs> so it's sort of like they pick a major game and they get rid of the main thing in that game. Uh, at least you can die more than once on the fourth stage instead of the third. So, oh my goodness. Um, so the game itself is is kind of amateurish. Well, kind of. It's very amateurish in its art. But it's 1980. And it is a color game from 1980 with multiple stages. So you have to look at it in context. So in that context, it's... I mean, it's not as bad. If you, if you thought of this as a game from like 84 or 85 or 86 or something it would just be laughed out of the arcade. So it's an early game and it does have color and a bunch of sprites moving on screen. So there's some things going for it. The problem is not the amateurish art, it's the amateurish coding. And I played this in MAME, so I don't know if it's better on an actual cabinet. But there are major problems with, with the game logic here. Like the the button tracking is so bad. Like all the time I would press a button and it would consider it a double press or it would miss the press. And that's like just incredibly yeah. bad in the, the fourth level. It's just so hard. Um, there, so in the, in the first stage is the dive bombing Galaxians and they can't have as many sprites on the screen. So there's no formations. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what's going on here. And so they, they come at, they, you say, come at me, bro. And they come at you, bro. And you're on the ship on the bottom. And you can, at this stage, just move back and forth. But for me, for some reason, every once in a while, my my little ship would move up the screen. And I wasn't sure if it was like every time you don't destroy a wave completely, you moved up a bit because it didn't seem to always happen. But my 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 dude, my little ship dude would just get a little higher in the screen sometimes. And I couldn't even figure out why. It just seemed like a bug. Was that happening to you? For the 10 minutes that I played it, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then I'll tell you about the bugs in levels three, four, and five. Oh, please do. So 
Level two, which is the asteroids level, the one without the asteroids. <laughs> so it's just the UFOs for that. So the UFOs, this time they're coming in from the side instead of from the top, and it can be either side. And there's two different sorts of asteroids, so it mixes up the graph or uh, UFOs, so it mixes up the graphics a bit. Um, and this time you can fly around. So your ship that used to be trapped on the bottom of the screen, you now your thrust button start, starts working, and you are now can are free to fly all over the screen to to hit these these UFOs. So it makes it a little harder because you've now got a, a wider playing field, but you can also move around, so that's cool. The weird thing was there's essentially no inertia. So unlike most of these games, this is this is space. Well, it looks like space, but I guess you're actually playing in like gelatin or something because as soon as you stop thrusting, you immediately stop. <laughs> right. Um, and it would just mess me up because I'm like, that's not how these games are supposed to play. Um, also, I found that you can have multiple shots on screen at once, but like in the first level your shots had to finish their path. So if you shoot and miss, it's particularly bad because you don't reload until that that shot has gone all the way up the screen. But it doesn't go all the way up the screen. It goes like three quarters of the way. It's kind of weird. And then in the asteroids level, the non-asteroids asteroids level, you can have multiple shots going at once, which is cool, except they seem to be relatively random in how far you could shoot. Sometimes you'd be shooting. I say, okay, I can, I can go about half a screen. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. It seemed to just sort of cycle through the game. Sometimes like, I had more range than others, and I could never figure out why that was. And just, again, crazy sloppy programming. It was bugging me, Mike. It was bugging me. <laughs> yeah, nothing about the, the game. Gameplay experience between the levels was consistent, and so it was frustrating to kind of you get, you get through one one level, and then you've got to kind of either relearn or remember that things operate differently now. and. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of a, yeah, very sloppy, very, I don't know. Um, I, I guess this, maybe this qualifies as a shovelware thing, kind of, you know, it's came out. I thought it was and, better than that though. I thought a it was little better, bit better we, than we that. We played worse games. We recently. definitely, yeah, we've definitely played worse games, but I think this was an attempt to cash in on the, the very popular, um, space shooter, um, craze in the arcades that was going on at the time. I do think it's one of those things where I think their heart is in the right place. They're trying to give you a game that has a lot of variety. It just needed more polish. It just needed somebody who's really into games who would say, but the game, gameplay mechanics have to be more polished than this. You can't just say, sometimes your, shoot, your shots go a long way, sometimes they don't, and we won't tell you why, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, and also the third level, that one where you're, there's like a UFO at the top, and it's kind of got a big tractor beam coming down. It, it looks almost like uh, Yar's Revenge, like that field. It was all lots of different blocks of color. When you're you, the the goal, I guess the instructions say you have to get into that tractor beam because it's going to pull you up. And as long as you're in that tractor beam, your ship moves upward, and then you can still move left and right. And if you move left or right out of the tractor beam, then you start dropping down, and the tractor beam gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Also, there are these asteroid flaming balls of death or whatever <laughs> coming down at you, and you have to avoid those. So as you're in the skinny tractor beam, sometimes there's not a lot of room to maneuver. But the the level, you have to shoot the guy at the top. And I found I could hit him or her. I'm not sure the, the gender of the aliens up there. I could find I could hit him or her uh, even from the bottom of the screen. But it didn't seem to count. So there's some sort of weird rule going on that you do have to get your ship up to a certain height, it seemed. But I was never able to figure out what. Like The, 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 the rules for this game are too darn opaque. So I did find that the only way to beat that level was to be in the tractor beam and let it bring me up. But if I went up too far, you would just die. And I found, I guess it's a timer thing or something, because if I just didn't go in the tractor beam, eventually I would just die. And the worst thing is, on the third level, but only the third level, one death 
brings you back to the starting level. So it treats it like it's a boss level, even though there's more to go. So for the longest time, I thought there were only three levels because I kept dying on the third level and then you would just start again. And that was very highly, highly frustrating. Um, and then finally, I destroyed the Buck Rogers tractor beam bad guy thing <laughs> and I moved on to a fourth level. And I was very surprised that there's this whole Star Castle thing. Um, though it's not really Star Castle. I, our listeners probably know the game. There's a game where you're in the center and you just press your joystick like up, left, down, or right, and it just fires in those directions, and just things are coming at you from those four directions. Um, it's more like that, except it's on uh, it's eight way VR. I think that's a and level. So, on Sorry, Charlie. It could be <laughs> good, which is we should talk about the cabinet because <laughs> Sorry, Charlie's cabinet borrows things from from this cabinet. Um, it, it, the problem with the the Star Castle level, the nice thing is you can die more than once. So if you get there and you have three or four avatars left, you get the three or four attempts. So that's good. Um, the, the, but it's almost impossible because it's a button based game rather than joysticks. And so you've just got to rotate left and right button. And so every time you press it, you're supposed to move basically 45 degrees. And so that's how you rotate around and shoot these things. The problem is of course, the button tracking so bad that you'd press once and you'd move twice or you'd press and it wouldn't move. And it's basically a pattern memorization you have to do. Cause you, if you miss even one shot, you're not going to survive this level. So it took me a long time to be able to get past that fourth level. And I finally did then tweet my, hey, look, I finished it because <laughs> it took a lot of effort. And the, and the big issue is if you, it's, it's just getting to that level because the third level is so difficult to survive. And if you die even once, you go back to the beginning. So to get to the fourth level, to even practice it, you have to spend a lot of effort pushing through that third level, which is actually more difficult. So um, the pattern recognition stuff I didn't like and the fact that it, the buttons wouldn't move i'm blaming the buttons they didn't move the way i would press them and that made this game very very difficult so it's this this is a hard game uh it says i'm reading the uh the arcade manual um which by the way is rather amusing just for its its uh, grammatical errors i think this was probably written by somebody who's uh, uh whose first language was not english um so during the third phase uh there is at the top a big star Quasar or Nova. Interestingly, if you read this manual, it refers to this game as Quasar or Nova. So I don't know if they were going to call it Nova and decided not to, or if they were going to spin it off or something. But uh, it says, uh, with an eye at the center, the star sends a light beam to the player ship, which is at the bottom. The star and the light beam move to the left and the right-hand side, and the player has to keep the ship within the light beam in order to be attracted toward the star, avoiding the meteorites which he encounters during his trip. When the eye of the star is hit, the advancing speed increases. If the ship leaves the light beam, it will automatically be drawn back. The light beam becomes thinner as time goes by. The star has therefore to be reached before the time exhausts itself. This has to be done in order to start the fourth phase. If the light beam, if the light beam exhausts itself, the ship will explode and the game will start at the first phase. On the contrary, the ship is hitted by a meteorite. The same will explode and the game will start at the third phase. Okay. Which I think is sort of what you were saying. It was. <laughs> But put better. Uh, it's hard. It's a hard game. This is a and difficult game, and yeah. And, and I, if you type in into Google um, um, Quasar Arcade, like one of the top links there is like uh, Quasar hardest arcade game ever. And I don't think it's the hardest, but it's a very difficult arcade game. I mean, I've got Gravatar here, and Gravatar completely kicks my butt, and I can't get past the level on that, the first level on that. Whereas this one, I was in this week able to get past all four phases, and then you basically just start again, and it doesn't seem to actually get harder. So if you can 
sort of master it, then I think you could play this thing indefinitely. I don't know if there's a, a kill screen bug, um, but I did. I was able to beat all four levels on this, whereas I cannot do that with Gravatar. So I don't think it's the hardest. I think it's just made hard because the collision detection is kind of flaky. The distance your shots fire is inconsistent, so you never really know whether or not you can hit something. And the button tracking is bad, like because of the missed presses or double presses and, and that sort of thing. The game would be very hard without those, but with those three problems, it makes it almost impossible. But not so impossible that it beat me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I struggle with um, button games where it's the space like a you know, defender or, or asteroids where you're having, in addition to having your, your shoot buttons, you're also having to, uh, to kind of, you're, you're having to learn more buttons to control the movement of the ship. Um, that's for, for me, that's very counterintuitive and it's, it's difficult to learn. And those games tend to frustrate me and I don't play them very much. Um, and it's even worse when the, the game that they're attached to, uh, feels sloppy like this because then it just becomes frustrating and, and angry. And that's, that's the dif- difference between like a, a hard game. That's really, really good. Like Gravatar and a game that's hard because poor design choices were made or because you didn't bug check it before you sent it out. I agree. No, you don't. <laughs> it's boring when you agree with me. So should we talk about the cabinet? Um, sure. Why not? Cabinet's awesome. It is so beautiful. The difference, <laughs> it's such a big difference between sort of the quality and polish of the game and the quality and polish of the cabinet. I just love their cabinets. The Sicaria just made beautiful, beautiful cabinets. So the sta- there's a standard upright cabinet um, and for Quasar. And it's very similar to a lot of other Zakaria cabs like Space Pirate and, and Scorpion in that it's got that, it's got a round bezel window. So the, it's a, just a square, the actual bezel, but the opening that you view through is made round by the graphics. And that's something that's, I think, fairly unique to the Zakaria. Everybody else gives you a square window because you're looking at a square monitor or rectangular monitor. Um, so I think it's interesting that it would say, no, but the, the beauty of the graphics, we're going to give you an oval instead, even if that basically cuts off the corners of the, of the, graphics on the screen <laughs> so it's something they're choosing the beauty of the art over the gameplay mm-hmm. and i think that shows a lot in everything other than the art in the gameplay um so quasar was technically available in all four zakaria cabinet styles so i've been reading about their cabinets and and looking through their sales brochures so it seems that they for the most part for most years had four different cabinet styles there was a regular cabinet which is just like we would think of as a normal upright cabinet and the thing that really marks them out is that oval design in the graphics and the bezel there was also a deluxe cabinet, which um, is very kind of swoopy. It has a it has a rounded um, marquee on the top, and it's a almost like a bubble. It sticks out, and it's a it's a more more curvy sort of cabinet. But it's also smaller than the regular cabinet, so I guess it's technically a cabaret. But they called it their deluxe cabinet. Um, then there was a cocktail cabinet, which is even for them the exact shape of every other buddy's every other person's cocktail cabinet nothing really that unique about it and then they also though had something they called a wall cabinet so it was basically imagine they took the the smaller cabaret style what they call the the deluxe cabinet and then chopped off the bottom bits and it was designed to actually hang on a wall so it's a half height cabaret um designed to not really sit on a, a cabinet but just be mounted on a wall i thought that was really interesting huh. so and like we talked about before my general impression is gorgeous cabinets pretty crappy games <laughs> like, so the quasar cabinet itself has just this 
absolutely gorgeous full height side art of these pair of UFOs flying above this laser gun wielding space dude. Um, the bezel art is fairly plain, um, but like I said, the, the window is an oval and it's surrounded by this um, very citrus colored rainbow stripe. And the control panel has the same rainbow on the outside of that. And it has uh, six buttons, basically three groups of two. So the first two are labeled left and right. Um, the next pair are forward and forward and fire. And then um, the one on the right is for player one and player two. But like, if you look at the graphics on the, um, on the control panel, it's also an example of like just somebody really focusing on the beauty of something, if not necessarily focusing on the practicality. <laughs> so the, the left and right, uh, in this case, really great bit of design, like just gorgeous industrial design that it's got on below them arrows pointing to the left and right with the words left and right in them. So you can realize that's what they do. But also surrounding the buttons in circles are these smaller arrows that run either counterclockwise or clockwise. And so it's a really nice way to indicate that these buttons, depending on the level you're in, are both for left and right strafing or for rotating when you're in the free flying section. So I mean, that's a great bit of industrial design. And then that you've got the the buttons for forward and shoot. But in here, it's they're labeled forward or fire button. I'm like, why, why is it a forward button? So like, why is the word button there? What do you think it is? <laughs> and so it's so funny how I think that's more of a translation thing. So if you just look at the graphics on these machines, they're gorgeous. But anytime they have words involved, it kind of falls down a bit. So again, like you're saying, I think it's an English not as first language problem versus a design problem. Um, the rainbow stripes, these little citrus rainbow stripes, they, they circle around the buttons too. And it's, it's a really pretty panel in a like 1970s way. Like you come in 1980, but it's clearly from a, a mid to late 1970s uh, uh, feeling to it. It's fantastic. Um, and on the left of the control panel are the, these instruction texts that describe the four phases and I think give gameplay hints, but I couldn't find any graphics that were good enough I could zoom in and read the stick of text. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure what it says. Um, uh, anyway, they're gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. We talked about how US Billiards released a version as well in the US, also still called um, Quasar, but uh, it's not nearly as nice. Like it's, it's, a, it's a very generic sort of cabinet. Um, it's got nice art and a really colorful control panel, but the left and right buttons, for instance, only have these big arrows showing rotation. So it's, and, and it's like, it's like a, just an arrow that rotates around the button, let's say on the, on the left-hand button to show that you rotate counterclockwise. It's got an arrow going counterclockwise around it. And the, but the arrow starts, you can imagine, it starts on the right side, starts at like three o'clock, goes up towards noon, down towards nine o'clock, and ends at six, which means the arrow for left has a big button. Uh, oh, sorry, the, the button for left has a big arrow that points to the right because <laughs> the arrowhead is on the bottom. So it's one of those things where the difference in the industrial design between the U.S. Billiards version and the, the Zakaria version, it's night and day. So I guess the U.S. Billiards cabinet's really rare because this wasn't a big selling game in the U.S. So it makes it very collectible. But it's just got essentially what is not a great game inside not a great cabinet. So it's not the version I would want to have. If I was going to own one of these things, I would definitely want the, the Italian one because all of their cabinets are just beautiful. Like you could just, just do a podcast about the beauty of their cabinets. I just love them. Love them. Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned taking better games and putting them in Zakari cabinets because if you take a uh, scroll down that, that – um, List at zzzakaria.com. 
it looks like they did just that. You can they have there's a, a version, for example, of um, uh, Frogger, but it's in one of these Zakaria cabinets, and they have Crazy Kong, but it's in it's. It, it says that these are licensed, but I I don't know if that's true. I don't know if they were pirated well, it could or not. Because they were probably no, they were probably licensed for Italy or for parts of Europe. Mm, possibly. It seems that they were a developer and also a distributor. Yeah, but there are a lot of they do have a lot of very popular games that ended up in these um, in these in their their awesome cabinets. You know, you could you could even play. They have the a a, a version of the licensed or a version of the environmental Buck Rogers cabinet with their side art and things like that. Not that you would want to play Buck Rogers, but no. it's there um, to play. Oh yeah. I see they have a scramble cabinet as well. Yeah. yeah. And if you click on the little icons, you get kind of bigger shots of the, of the, the cabs. And um, I love them. I, I was setting up an arcade. I would happily do all Zakaria cabinets because <laughs> these things are just so beautiful. Now, if you read down the, the side, the notes over there, it, it looks like a lot of these things Either, you know, like one exists or none of them exist anymore that they can find. I don't know if they – I'm sure that maybe they just didn't do a lot of, you know, they probably did a lot of really short runs of, of machines mm-hmm. with low numbers. And, uh, you know, when their arcades closed down back then, the machines got smashed up and thrown away. So it's, it's you know, like, uh, for example, they, they, it looks like they licensed the um, Cinematronic Space Fortress game. They called it Space Pirate. Um, they said one complete machine exists. You know, um, so a lot of the stuff looks really cool and probably may not exist anymore. I don't know. That's a shame. Yep. Beautiful. Just so beautiful. So did you like this game? Uh, for the 10 minutes that I played, (laughs) I, like I said, like you, like you pointed out, I, uh, briefly experienced a lot of the frustrations kind of that you did where I didn't really understand why the game was doing what it was doing. There were no explanations given, um, the, the weird, no, iner- the, the weird inertia thing, you know, it, that actually made, made it feel like you, you mentioned Yars Revenge where, you know, you, where you hit the joystick and, and, and you move and as soon as you let go, it stops. And that's sort of a jarring thing. Cause you're, if you're used to playing games like, uh, um, asteroids, you know, where you hit the thrust button and you kind of float to a stop. And uh, maybe in 1980, they didn't realize that space would have inertia. Okay. It's like new science. <laughs> I see. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, like you said, I, I think I want to buy one of these cabinets and put something else in it. Because, you know, there's um, no famous Italian scientist who would know anything about gravity. Well, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hold on. <laughs> right. Wait. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah not, not a very good game. The, the bugs kind of got in the, way, in the way of whatever enjoyment. For me, it's the bugs. I suspect if the, if the control panel, that is my keyboard, was working more accurately like if you play this on a real cabinet i wonder if it doesn't mess up the button presses and if that was the case if the collision detection was just a little more accurate and the button presses never messed up i think i would like this game a lot more for me it was less the kind of crappy graphics and less the kind of weird mishmash of themes that was was bringing the game down it was more just the inaccuracy of the control panel so if that got fixed or if i was playing on a an original gorgeous Italian cabinet and it worked more accurately. I think I would like this game a lot more. I think, and, and this is just a personal choice for me for, for this game or any of its type really to, to make kind of the, the top five of my top 100 list or top, the, the, the top 100 <laughs> games in my top five list. I, uh, it would need a joystick. I, I just can't do the, the five or six buttons to like turn thrust, 
fire turns right, you know. Um, so that's kind of automatically only four buttons. points off there for me. Saying. Whatever. Four. Yeah, I heard you. <laughs> so four. <laughs> uh, the graphics reminded me a lot of um, kind of the, more of a home console game than, than of what I was used to seeing in the arcades, the kind of blocky graphics didn't bother me. I just noticed that I don't, I don't, the sound must not have been all that remarkable because I don't remember anything about it. I don't remember being annoyed. I don't remember liking it. I remember nothing about the sound. There really isn't any. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's sound, but it's, yeah, it's not, there's no, there's no music. There's no, it's not, it's just, you know, pew, pew. Noises. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Quasar featured an S2650 CPU. I don't know who manufactured that. At 3.5795 megahertz, the sound CPU was an Intel 8035 at 400 kilohertz, and it used a, uh, a DAC for sound generation at, also at 400 kilohertz. The screen was a vertically oriented 240 by 223 pixel raster screen, uh, a 1024 color palette, um, and hmm, arcadehistory.com is listing it as a two-way joystick, but I think that's wrong. No, it's definitely two buttons. Yep. Uh, and that's all I have to say about this game. I don't think it was ported to anything like that. I that I could find no home versions, so it, it's still available if somebody wants to do it as like a hack fest or something. Make an <laughs> Apple II port. <laughs> we'll jump Mike right will on do that. it. No, Mike, <laughs> Mike will not do it. Not because Mike doesn't want to, but Mike is a crappy programmer. Oh, well, then Quasar might be the game for you. <laughs> well, that's true, yep. Collision detection does not have to be your strong suit if you're going to port this game. It's like vaguely over there. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's let, the, let the gloating begin. Excellent. <laughs> I like the gloating. Is it me who's doing the gloating? Oh, yes, I think so. Fantastic. Well, that makes me very happy. So um, I got, I completed phase four and restarted back on level one. And then, to be honest, that's as far as I stopped trying to push through because I had spent all the time on this game. <laughs> oh, listen spend. to you. I'm so good at this game. I don't even need to play anymore. No, no. I, I mean, ended up actually dying on level one, but I didn't go back. <laughs> once I did that once, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I've completed. I've seen all the bits of the game. I feel I put the effort in. Uh, it is a game, though, that I will come back to, even though I can see why a lot of people wouldn't like it. And it is a game I would really like to try in a real cabinet to see how that stands up. So hopefully I can track one of those down at some arcade and play it. Uh, anyway, in, in the level that I did finally get past phase four and wrap around it back to level one, my high score was 27,320, 27320. What about you, Mike? How'd you do? Uh, yeah, we, get, we should point out here that uh, because, again, this is an early space shooter games, uh, an early space shooter game, you don't get a lot of high scoring opportunities. You know, typically the most you'll get is maybe 100 or 500 points. And that's usually for something really big on the level. It's you're not getting ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand points. Pile those excuses up, man. <laughs> well, no, that didn't help me either. Uh, I before I started having my uh, technical problems, I got to the second screen of the first phase a couple of times, and that got me a grand total of sixteen hundred and ten points. One six one zero. I'm awesome. Gloat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, uh, it's the beautiful Italian machines and I, we, we, we have a rapport that you just don't understand. No, no, you don't. <laughs> well, I actually really enjoyed playing this week's game. I didn't think I would when I, on first viewing. And in the end, I actually quite liked it. Best of all, I beat you. So retroactively, <laughs> That's I'm really why we more. play these games, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so what about next week? What, what will we do battle on next week? Well, it can't be any worse than this week. So, uh, here's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I know that game. 
I guess that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. Ciao. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. No, no, no.